If you focus on helping first, the sales will come. This is the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 224. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly show sharing stories of travelers running a business on the road, and you heard it here first. There are a lot of photos of Richard Branson in a hammock on the internet, which is something I googled while I listened to today's episode. I also googled Thai architecture, scope creep, which I'd never heard of, and when I can go to New Zealand. But the heart of today's episode is all about content marketing for your business. Heath is chatting with Liz of Pop Digital Media. Liz runs her digital marketing company with her husband, Josh, and digital marketing covers so many things. We've had a ton of marketers over the past five years on this podcast, but one thing that Liz points out that we've seen is that because marketing is so broad, you can find the most success as a marketer by really focusing on one aspect of marketing. And for Liz, that's content marketing, or as we like to call it, playing the long game. In today's episode, Liz shares a lot of helpful tips and processes for developing a content marketing plan from scratch so that if you're not doing content marketing for your business, this is going to be a really good starting place. Liz also has some free resources to help you get started developing your business plan if you don't have one yet, identifying your ideal customer, and auditing your business. And I've included links in the show notes so you can download those for free on her website. Before we dive deep into the world of content marketing, here's Heath and a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by ID Plans, and it's actually less of a sponsorship than it is really an opportunity. ID Plans is a software and service company based in Tampa, Florida, that provides solutions for property managers. Over the past 20 years, ID Plans has been able to hire a number of full-time RVers to help survey commercial properties, and they are looking to hire three to five additional teams over the next couple months. Here's a clip from Carolyn, who has been traveling with her husband across the country working with ID Plans. Me and my husband have been traveling full-time together since 2016. The whole time we've been on the road, we were always looking for a job to do something along the way to make some money, but still be able to have our freedom. We tried several different work camping positions, and we realized that that was not a good way to make money. It was a great way to meet people, but the money was just not there. So we stumbled across ID Plans about a year and a half ago. And since we've worked for the company, it has changed our lives. We love working for ID Plans. We get to set our own schedule and we get paid to travel across the U.S. It's such a great opportunity. Over the last few years, I've seen a lot of companies hire RVers for different types of short and longer term jobs. And I can honestly say that this is one that almost immediately after getting trained, you can make a near full-time income while also still having another side hustle or business to do on the road. You'll receive training for their software, be able to park your RV right on the job sites and run the entire operation from your RV. If you want to learn more, you can send an email to rvjobs at idplans.com. That is rvjobs at idplans.com. This isn't the first time ID Plans has sponsored our podcast, and I know when they were on the show back in December that they hired a few couples who applied after hearing about them on our show. So if you're looking for a gig on the road and you have a motorized RV, I encourage you to check it out. More info is on our show notes page. That's enough for me. Over to Heath and Liz. Liz, how's it going? Hey, I'm awesome. How are you doing today? 
Pretty good. What have you been up to for the past 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> Balancing travel and life and working kind of all together. <laughs> it's been fun just in the couple of minutes that we've been talking before jumping on. And I want to start at the beginning of your story. And there's a lot of different threads to pull on, which always makes these interviews really fun and interesting to me when there's a lot of different avenues of things that like a guest has done. Like whenever I can research or get to know somebody a little bit better and it's like, oh, they run this business and this business and they have this story. It always, you know, you're just going to be able to sit and talk for a long time, which is a lot of fun. So let's start at the beginning of your story. How did this life where you have multiple businesses and a travel blog and, you know, you do content and speaking, how did this all come about? Well, I grew up in a traveling family, so we traveled a lot, and my parents did too, and so I had that bug in me since I was a kid, and I just always knew that one day I was going to explore every aspect of the world, every continent, every possible place I can go, and I just always had that burning desire, and so as I got you know older and became an adult, I started traveling a lot solo, independently to Europe and Asia and different places, and along the way after a while the whole working thing got in the way i guess you could say <laughs> with having an actual job and so years ago i remember seeing an image of richard branson sitting in a hammock with his laptop and i remember looking at that picture thinking that's the life i want i don't know how i'm gonna get it i don't know how <laughs> but was it was it laptop. being a billionaire or like working on the beach or it, both it was just it was just working <laughs> wherever you wanted kind of thing. Mm. So if I wanted to work at the beach or if I wanted to work in the mountains or wherever, I just wanted to have that freedom because I enjoyed working, but I wanted to be able to travel and explore and just find a way to make that work. I had no idea how it was going to work, but I just knew in my mind somehow I was going to go in that direction. And then it was years later kind of doing research you know this was back when internet was starting to get really popular people were starting to do affiliate stuff and so I just was diving into all these different aspects of how I might be able to make money on my own without depending on you know a big company and having to be there at the office and eventually I had some colleagues who were joking with me that I should start a travel blog just because I was traveling so much and I kind of shrugged it off because I didn't really know much about blogging. This was like 10, 15 years ago. Um, so it was much different than it is today where a lot of people have blogs. I kind of mulled it over and didn't really do much with it. And then it just so happened. And, and life works this way. I always believe things happen for a reason. But the company I was working for started to not do so good. And they had to lay off like half of the company. And it was actually during that time when I was one of the many people that got laid off, I was job hunting and I had a lot of free time. So I actually dug in and decided to start a blog because I had all this extra time on my hands. And yeah, the travel blog just ended up turning into, I ended up getting an actual job shortly thereafter. Um, but I still did the blog on the side on the nights and, and weekends. And my husband started working with me on it. And then it just kind of grew and grew to the point where we decided to, you know, our jobs were actually getting in the way of all the travel work that we wanted to do with that. And so we quit our jobs and sold everything we owned and decided to go travel around the world, you know, blogging and doing whatever. <laughs> so, and, and then it actually grew into a business after that, which is crazy. <laughs> I hate it when jobs get in the way of travel. That's just unfortunate, isn't it? Oh, 
I know, I know. You have to. I was determined to find a way to to have my cake and eat it too, and we did. <laughs> so, where was the first place that you went? Well, my husband and I, Josh, had traveled a lot of places together before we quit our jobs. But when we did quit, the first location was Southeast Asia and Thailand. Obviously, a lot of people go there because it's inexpensive, and we had traveled there before. It was part of the reason we decided to quit the jobs and sort of go back because we had actually gone on a trip to Southeast Asia for, but we only had a couple weeks because of our jobs. And I remember when we were there the first time we fell in love with it and I was meeting all these people that kept traveling and I was just thinking to myself, God, we have to fly all the way back. And then one day we want to come back here again to see more. It would just be easier and cheaper if we didn't have to go home. (laughs) So we could just stay here. So the first destination was Thailand because we were so excited to get back there and um, just sort of soak it all in, go where we wanted to go, not really have, it was the first time we never really had an itinerary or an agenda. And so we were just kind of hanging out and just sort of loving it for a while. And the idea wasn't necessarily to work while you traveled. It was just saved up and we're going to go travel for as long as we can do the travel blog Maybe it's making a little bit of money, but that's not kind of how it ended up going as far as like not working, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, when we first started blog, we didn't have, it was, this was before the day of influencers. It wasn't even a word back then. And we're not, I'm not real, I don't know. I'm not real comfortable being the center of attention or, you know, in a bunch of videos and stuff like that. So when my husband and I made the blog, we really just enjoyed just sharing the information kind of thing. And we didn't know that that would ever pay bills. So we figured, we didn't know that we'd make money off of it, but we knew that it could lead to something to make money, if if that makes sense. (laughs) When we first left to go travel, we weren't expecting to earn a living off of it. So we saved for a couple years before we left. And we figured if anything, we can go travel, see the world, all these places we wanna go, and then we'll come back and maybe maybe we'll have to get real jobs again and, you know, get a place to live and whatnot. But at least we would have seen and done the things that we wanted to do. So yeah, the initial idea was that we'd make money on the road. Got it. And how long was it before you stumbled across an opportunity in a bar (laughs) that took you to New Zealand? Less than a week. So what happened? I I, I wanted I want to get in and talk about some of your experience working with companies and content marketing, but I I just love this story and I'm fascinated to hear like how did this go down? How did you end up flying across to work with somebody in New Zealand and finding this opportunity in a bar of all places? Because it's just it sounds like the quintessential travel story that you know like we all aspire to have like this really cool experience meeting somebody and then you know like leading to this other cool opportunity, right? Uh, yeah, it is funny. And and honestly, when I look back on my life, there's been so many instances like this that have happened. You just kind of go with the flow and things happen. It's, it's crazy where they lead you. So we were in Thailand. We had just gotten there. And like I said, it was the first time in our lives we had no agenda. So we had no jobs we had to go back to. We had no itinerary. We didn't really even know what we were going to do. But So we were sort of just soaking in this whole honeymoon of I could do whatever I want, but I also don't really know what I want to do. I'm just sort of hanging out right now. We were there for about three or four days and our Airbnb guy, because we were staying in a, a, in a B&B, he was an expat with his local Thai wife and we were staying in their house with them, really cool, like teak, you know, traditional Thai house. And 
this guy was so connected. He had, he knew this monk uh, that had this crazy story. He's like, let me introduce you to that guy. Let me introduce you to this guy. He was very social and he was just introducing us to all these people. And he also owned a bar that was a block or so from his house. So he would sit, you know, tell us in the evenings, just come and hang out at the bar with us. So we would go and hang out there. And, and I have to give a lot of this credit to my husband because he is the really extroverted one of us and just talks with everyone. Uh, we complement each other well in that way because I'm more the introvert that's super organized and make sure we have all our paperwork, you know, in order so we could get across borders and visas. And he's the one that brings the adventure, like always. I never know what's going to happen when he's around, what to. So he was at the bar one night and he just started talking with this guy, this expat guy who was there on vacation and they were chatting about tourism because we both have a background in tourism and hospitality. So they were talking about that. They were talking about Airbnbs. So we were staying there, blah, blah. And eventually the conversation went around to marketing and content and blogs and social, kind of a lot of the things that we do. And this guy, apparently he, he owned a, bed and breakfast in New Zealand and he rented it out through Airbnb and different platforms and he was undergoing a, a rebrand with it and kind of a relaunch of, of the new because it had been renovated and stuff and so my husband was talking with him and you know how it goes in bars you know sometimes people are you don't know if they're being truthful or just you know telling a great story or whatever yeah. so he didn't <laughs> have much to believe this guy because this guy's like he was telling him oh i own this amazing property it's in the wine region of new zealand and it's perched up on this hill and it overlooks the vineyards it's multi-million dollars you know floor to ceiling windows and my husband josh is like okay okay yeah sure and then he said well you guys he, he said you guys have all this experience and i just don't understand how any of it works he said i need a website i don't know how to make one i uh, i need this i need that he's like i just don't understand how any of this works so how about i fly you guys down to help me you know what are you guys doing what's your schedule and my husband said well you know funny enough this is the first time in our lives we don't really have an itinerary we're kind of just here hanging out so you know we're open to to whatever we'd love to go to new zealand and so the guy said, okay, great. Well, I'll have my assistant contact you in a couple of days. Um, I'm launching it in a couple of weeks. So I really need you guys to come down there quick. And so he said, okay, whatever. They're, they're kind of having a few beers, you know, and just chit chatting. And uh, the next thing we know, a couple of days later, we get an email from his assistant and she's booking our flights. And like three days later, we were on a plane to New Zealand, just totally out of nowhere to go do all the marketing for this guy <laughs> in New Zealand. So yeah, that's wow. how we got our first client. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how did it go? Were you able to build his website and was he happy and everything? Like it, it worked out well or? Oh, it was, it was an amazing experience for, for a lot of reasons. All of a sudden it dawned on us that this could be a service we provide people, a way to actually make money. But because we hadn't thought of it yet, it was so new to us that we kind of weren't prepared for what was coming our way. I guess you could say. I learned the value of really scoping out a project before you accept it, because when we got there, it was the needs were so much bigger than what they had initially talked about in the bar. <laughs> and so, so he it, needed more than just a website. Yeah, he needed like everything. <laughs> it was, he didn't even have a logo. He wanted, he needed a new logo for it. He had just, you know, redone all this stuff and wanted to totally relaunch it with a 
new name. So we needed logos, we needed all kinds of branding guidelines, we needed the website, the social, the, the content and the blog. And, and he was even asking for our help in the operation side because my husband has experience in hospitality and stuff. And so he was hooking it up uh hooking us up with local vendors and we were talking to wineries about getting local wine at his uh bnb and that he hooked us up with a guy that ran wine tours and we went out with him and did a whole experience about wine tours and set that up so it ended up turning into a huge project um it just was always growing and so i after that experience it was kind of a it was very much a wake-up moment it's like okay we need to do a better job at clarifying what the scope of the project is, what the objectives are. Cause it was like every day he came back and he came with a new idea. And then we talked like about the definition it. of scope creep. Oh God. And we didn't, you know, we were kind of coming up with contracts on the fly and all that kind of stuff. So we just, you know, we weren't really prepared for what was coming at us, but it was also a really amazing experience. And we did a, we had a lot of fun. Um, we did, we stayed with him for about two and a half weeks at the BNB doing all this stuff and just worked like 24 seven. And then we were able to take off uh, when we finished. He actually stayed on as a consulting client for, for about the next year or two. But when we finished with the initial project, we were able to go rent an RV and then go explore New Zealand for a couple more weeks while we were there. So in total, we were there for a month. But we basically lived and breathed everything with him for about two and a half weeks <laughs> of the project. Oh, wow. which uh, which part of New Zealand did you go explore? Like the North or South Island, or did you get to go to both? Or it was the South Island wine region in New Zealand is in the Marlborough area, which is mm-hmm. on the north tip of the South Island. So we flew into the South Island and stayed there, and we just drove around the whole whole island, just the south one. And where, where was your, like, where were a couple spots that stuck out? This is still probably like literally my favorite RV destination we've ever been to is the South Island of New Zealand. I mean, we were literally talking yesterday because we're just kind of dreaming up, you know, like, Hey, you know, maybe you can see the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID related things. And like, let's just try to get something on the calendar for some kind of really fun international trip. And I told Alyssa yesterday, I was like, what if we planned a caravan trip to New Zealand next year in like January, February during summer? And we just like booked like 10 or 15 regs and like just invited other people to come. And (laughs) anyway, but where's, where's your favorite place that you went? My husband dreams about New Zealand constantly. He he tells me that his final resting place is going to be in New Zealand. And if you can't find him, he's in New Zealand. That's how much he's obsessed with it. He really is. And I'm not far off. I'm just about as obsessed. We f- really fell in love with the Milford Sound area. Mm. Just, oh, We had the most amazing experiences in the RV there. I remember one night we camped next to this incredible waterfall. Um, just right off the side of the road, there was this amazing waterfall on the way there. And we just camped there. We were the only ones camping there it was just, we had the windows open like right there. <laughs> and the next morning we drove the rest of the way to Milford and there's all these tunnels and things. I don't know. It was just, I remember coming out of this one tunnel on the way to the sound. And when you came out the tunnel, you were just surrounded by these amazing mountains and waterfalls everywhere. And there were these clouds and mist sort of hovering over them. I mean, it was just spectacular. I, I think I know that. which tunnel you're talking about. It's like super long. It's pretty steep. Yeah. It's like wet and drippy. <laughs> and then like uh-huh. we come out the other yeah. end and I was, yeah. I was pretty stressed, honestly, in that tunnel. It was beautiful, but very stressful. Yeah. <laughs> 
it, um, it is stressful too. And they have, they have little lights, you know, one way at a time or whatever. And yeah, when you come out the tunnel, it's just like, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I, one of the things I've talked about moving to New Zealand after spending two months in an RV there. And the only downside for us is, is the fact that it's one of the longest flights in the world from the US. And so it's so, so remote that it's like literally you couldn't get further away from family or friends and, and things like that. So uh, that would be, that would be the downside to that. But okay. So you got this first client and then the light bulb kind of went off and you realize this could be something really meaningful. So Mm -hmm. it seems like that's kind of the trend that you took over the next few years in crafting out your core business um, Mm -hmm. with the media agency and things like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, I was. But after we finished in New Zealand, we went back to Southeast Asia. And, um, you know, we were traveling around and we ended up kind of everywhere we went, just sort of talking with people. You, I mean, you just learn so much by talking with people and being open and friendly and putting yourself out there that we ended up picking up clients all around the different hotels we were staying at, you know, we would work with them and and everyone had different needs, which was really cool because we learned, you know, different things that we liked doing or didn't like doing. We enjoy really training and coaching and helping people to to understand the whole digital landscape and to understand, kind of break it down so it's not so overwhelming and help them to figure out where they can participate in the way that gives them the most value, you know, because we, they, most people and most companies don't have unlimited resources so they can't do everything and they get a little overwhelmed sometimes when they start to dig into it so we would put together sometimes some training materials or just help coach them and help explain to them how they could implement some of these things within their business um so we did a lot of that and uh yeah just kind of traveled around picking up different clients and um we ended up we we traveled around for a good three years um, outside the States before we came back. And right before we came back to the States, because we were kind of missing home and wanted to come back to see family, well, three years is a long time to be gone. Um, we'd actually through some mutual connections and we had, we ended up picking up some, some pretty big clients before we came back. So that was kind of nice. It kind of took the business on a, a more stable trajectory, I guess you can say, with some longer term clients that we've still been with now around six years later. Wow. So really, you stepped out, you started doing the blog, kind of built the skills in social media and things like that, got your first client, realized the potential. Like, Can you talk through some of the evolution between like getting that early client. Cause I remember our first client was, it was a similar thing. Like we hit the road and I got one uh, job and working full time for some, like an author helping him launch his book. It was kind of like a friend of a friend. And then mm-hmm. we, the first like actual client we got, it was very similar story with the scope creep. We bit it out. And I remember we were on the road to Alaska in the RV and I just like sent him back the bid and he accepted and it was $1,400 for a three-month project where we were also going to fly out to San Diego on our own dime from Texas. It's like, there's yeah. no way we made any money whatsoever on it. But, you know, the learning that we got from that was really valuable. And it ended up like doing a good job and getting referrals for other clients. And so, and then over the years, we kind of, there was a lot of like, I guess, inflection points where we kind of realized more and more where we can solve people's needs the best and like how to price those projects, how to bid them out correctly and things like that. So can you talk through some of that evolution between that 
first client in New Zealand and where you're at now with taking on larger contracts that are spanning multiple years? Because I think there's a lot of things that probably happen in that range that are really meaningful for people to take and apply to their own service-based business. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, at the beginning, we didn't quite know what area we wanted to specialize in because digital marketing is so it's so expansive there's so many different areas and it's impossible to be a total expert in every single area you can be a generalist and know a little about this and that but it's really hard to be a total expert in everything so in the beginning we were just sort of we were doing more of the generalist sort of approach because as we were meeting new clients everyone had different needs so we would kind of tailor what we do to their needs uh, but as we grew, you know, we realized we needed to be a, a little bit more focused, at least in one area. So we really started to target more on the content. And because we had a lot of experience in content strategy and development and executing it, we felt like we could provide a lot more value in that space. And as it turned out, kind of around that same time, we came to that realization we actually got approached by a company who we had some mutual contacts with and we, and we knew them. We used to work with some other people that they knew over in Asia and um, they reached out to us and they said, you know, we have this new business we want to launch and we know that we're going to need a lot of content and we have no idea how to tackle that. So that was, that was really perfect timing for us because we could come in and say, Hey, well, this is, you know, exactly sort of what we specialize in. So we really positioned it like that and kind of, bid out the project like that, mostly for content strategy and content support. But they their needs were a little bigger than that as well than just content, because, you know, as you know, everything in marketing is sort of tied to each other because we realized they didn't have a good website and your website's really critical to being able to deliver that content. <laughs> so we needed to tackle that. And then there was, you know, other things like social and things like that, that they didn't have. So we ended up taking on kind of a lot of the areas of marketing for them, but our main core area was that content and content strategy. And that made it more helpful for us to be able to break down the contract for them and sort of what we were going to provide to them, you know, how many blog posts or videos or, you know, different things that we were working on. So it helped us to structure the business and the, knowing what costs were going to be involved to create those pieces of content. And then at the end of the months or years where we're able to, to pull reporting, you know, we're able to show the value of creating those pieces of content in the website traffic or followers or conversions to, you know, whatever it was we were converting to. So that helped us be able to prove our value over the years so that we could continue to keep working with them. What kind of clients does that look like now? Like what are the types of businesses that you're working with? And like, if you, I guess if you could cherry pick one of them and say, Hey, like, here's an interesting way that we've been able to work with this business and develop their content strategy. Like yeah. what, it, what is like one of those progressions look like if you're sitting down with the clients working with them and like what's maybe come out of one of those relationships, kind of taking a step back, like a lot of people that we've met as part of the RVE community, maybe content is their business. Like maybe they are trying to develop a following audience on YouTube. So it's relevant there, but also, you know, if you have a service-based business on the road or a product that you're trying to sell or drop shipping or whatever you're doing, you know, like just like I'd be interested to kind of hear your framework for sitting down and developing that content plan as it applied to all the clients that you've worked with to date, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah. What we'll typically do is right at the very beginning, we'll sit down and what we firstly, we ask them if they have a business plan. And it's kind of amazing how many people don't. I mean, I guess I I can understand nowadays, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and a lot of us, you know, come up with these ideas and we don't really have the time to sort of put pen to paper and create a proper plan but um you know if they don't have a business plan we kind of guide them through that process a little bit but that sort of leads us to our content activities that we do with them so we start to analyze really their target market uh, and develop what we call personas or avatars i don't know if you're familiar with those but it's really sort of creating this picture of your ideal customer if they're an existing business, we can go into some of their data and some of their customer transactions and try to find out who these, these ideal customers are. If it's a new business, we might look to competitors or you know, other places where we can try to get some data on who these ideal clients are that they're going for. And then from there, we really sort of break it down and try to understand more of what, what are their specific pain points, their motivations, you know, things like that and we have some activities that we do with them to really get a clearer picture of that individual and then tie it to the business and their products or services and figure out what type of content can we create to help them on this journey we really emphasize to our clients if you focus on helping first the sales will come you know don't just jump in and try to start sell 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 help first so we look at this ideal customer and say, what are their pain points, their challenges, and how do your products or services help them with that? And then what is their buying journey? You know, from the awareness stage when they're out, you know, online, maybe trying to search and find a solution to a problem or, you know, cause that's most of the reason we go online. We're trying to find answers to questions and solutions to problems. So what is it that they're looking for? How can, and then what type of content can we create that will help them? in that particular stage and that's really the essence of content marketing it's using that content to help them but you're able to get in front of them at that stage of the process and then use the content to help nurture them through the journey so whether it is just initially getting their awareness and then maybe convincing them you know that they need your product or service and then afterwards what type of content do you provide to help you know, validate that purchase decision and sort of help them out and then maybe even turn them into advocates in the future. So it's sort of a whole buyer's journey cycle. And we kind of map all of that out with them. And then from there, we end up getting a huge list, usually of all of this content that can be created, which is amazing, but it's also overwhelming because sometimes I'll look at that list and think, wow, but how the heck am I going to make all of that, you know? But that's usually how the process goes with them. We sort of map out all of those content needs and then, you know, map it to the journey of the customer and then figure out how it needs to get created. (laughs) When you think about developing those initial projects, one of the things that we've kind of went through in our evolution with Campground Booking is now that we have a, a larger team and somebody in place that can just focus on content, we just now after doing a lot of other really direct revenue generating activities, started building out like thoughtful content marketing strategies. So like we sat down at the beginning of Q1, we developed a marketing plan. Alyssa helped, there's a guy named Sean on our team who is going to, his full-time job right now is just writing long form copy on relevant keywords for campgrounds who are looking to buy a reservation software. And so it was like nine posts a month over the course of the quarter. These are the keywords we want to rank for. But that's also not a short, it's not a short return on a lot of times for content. Maybe it can be, 
But when you sit down with clients, how do you walk them through the timeline and return for content? Because a lot of times, like it takes time to build that trust or rank on Google or other platforms. So like, you know, a lot of times people might have like an urgency and, and unrealistic timeline for things like that. So how, what are your thoughts? Yeah, and, and you're right. There is a very unrealistic uh, expectation out there. So when we when we explain the whole landscape of content marketing, we're very upfront from the very beginning of the fact that this is a long-term play. Anything that you're doing as far as Google and organic and SEO and, you know, all of, all of this is a long-term play. But even if you try to take shortcuts along the way, so advertising is one way that you can get quicker returns, but advertising is quite expensive. And advertising even still requires some content. You have to have some base content that you can use in those advertisements and create those landing pages and those lead magnets, whatever you know it might be that, that you're using. So you still need content for those types of short-term uh, activities like advertising, but it really behooves the business to take a more longer term approach, at, at least in putting together processes and teams that can support that. Because over time, you're gonna want to get away from those more expensive customer acquisition methods like advertising, because it's just so expensive over the long term. Um, so you're going to want to reduce, if possible, your spend on advertising and be able to get more of that organic so it's sort of a shift yes organic in this content is going to take some time to take off and start ranking on google so you can do some short term some facebook ads or google ads or you know depending on where your audience is you know there is some type of advertising you can do or sponsorships or partnerships with other people and influencers and pr you know there's some type of media activities you can do but you still have to invest in that what do you think are some of the most common mistakes that people make when they sit down to come up with a content marketing plan? The biggest mistake I see is they create, they go into it and start listing out all the content they want to make versus the content their customers want. There's oftentimes there's a difference. Yeah, I, I talk with a lot of business owners and, and some of them might have a lot of ideas. Oh, we could do this. We could do this. And a lot of what I hear is too much of the company talking about themselves. <laughs> That's one thing. Talking about themselves and really just there's a disconnect between the company wants to make this video or wants to talk about this topic versus this is what your audience actually wants to hear or needs to hear from you. Does that make sense? So that's yeah, the biggest disconnect I see. How do you, how have you figured out exactly what the audience wants to hear or wants or needs? It goes back to, it goes back to developing those personas, those ideal customer uh, profiles that we create in the beginning. If we do a good job in the beginning at mapping those out and doing some research. Now, sometimes you have to make assumptions. You know, sometimes you don't know everything. There are places you can go, social media, personal networks and groups, and you can do informal surveys, you know, and things to get data. There's also some research reports that you can buy, you know, too, if that's relevant to your business. So there are some different places we can go to get that data, but sometimes you do have to make some assumptions about what their problems are and what they're looking for. You can also go to Google and you know search keywords and stuff to find these things. But basically, if we can do a good job at creating that profile and understanding that customer, their true needs, pain points, things like that, then I can circle back to that anytime 
the client says, you know, I want to make a video on XYZ. <laughs> I could kind of bring that out and say, well, how, how does your customer feel about this? Is that something that they really need? Like, let's look back at what their actual needs are and then let's make the content, make sure that the content resonates with them and touches those needs. I like to try to, to point them back to that customer at all times. And, you know, sometimes the, we do have to make assumptions on what, what they're looking for. So maybe you have to do some testing with some of your content. Maybe you create something and you think that this is really what people are looking for, but maybe it doesn't quite hit the mark. You know, you can kind of get some feedback and see how people respond to it and how popular that, that blog post is or that video. And maybe you can make some adjustments for the future. So it's not a perfect science by any means. There's a lot of trial and error and, you know, kind of, you know, making adjustments along the way. Oh, that absolutely makes sense. I mean, one of the things that we've done to kind of come up with our initial content strategy plan this year has been one, we've looked into like Google AdWords planner. So you can look and see like what search terms is coming up a lot that people are looking for. And the other thing that we, that I've done for campground booking has been getting in Facebook groups with RV park and campground mm -hmm. owners and kind of figuring out like, what are the most common questions that they're asking that they're curious about that their pain points are and the chances are like other people are probably searching for those things too. Completely. There's, there's so many places you could go to get that information. And, and it's a, it's going to be a combination of all those places. Social media is a These groups are amazing. There's so many different groups for you know, that you can jump into and learn from. And we use Google a lot as far as searching keywords and keyword phrases and what people are searching for and trends to try to get an idea of what what are some of the associated problems or questions that our audience is, is bringing up that's tied to whatever product or service or business it is that we're, we're, we're working with. So all of those places are so valuable for getting that. And just people that we know too, though. When I talk to businesses, I'm always kind of curious to see what challenges they're having. So that gives me an idea of, you know, what, what we could do uh, to help them or to help other businesses like them. It's kind of amazing once you start just digging into your personal network too. There's so many people that, that might have some of the same problems and challenges too. So they're a, a great focus group to have as well. <laughs> One of the things I've heard from a lot of friends who are kind of in the early stage of their business and they have a product or service and it's kind of in its infancy days and they're trying to figure out how they can leverage content is a little bit of overwhelm and trying to think about like, oh, I need to post on Instagram and Facebook and also have a blog and a YouTube channel that I'm doing every day. When somebody comes to you with a problem like that, like how do you work through with them to kind of solve and kind of scale back? Because you can't do everything, especially not right out of the gate with a limited budget and things like that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Everything that you're doing as a business owner is prioritizing your resources right? So there's always this, this challenge of balancing how much budget you have, how much time, you know, and resources, and you cannot do everything. You can't be everywhere. So one of the most important things I, I talk with our clients is figuring out where, where they need to spend the most time. And it varies depending on their business. So if they're a business where we know that they're going to be able to get a lot of traction, maybe on uh, content and, and SEO um, that way. For example, we had a client a few years ago who was in a pretty, um, a pretty saturated space, but it was all very fragmented. And there wasn't, when we did some initial keyword research, we realized that none of the other companies, competitors were doing a good job with content at all. There was a ton of people asking questions and there was just no 
good content showing up on Google that answered their questions. So we recommended to them to really go all in on content development as far as videos and blog posts and focus on getting that organic traffic versus social media. In our experience, social media is great for, it can be great for growing awareness, you know, for pushing out your content. And if, if it's great content that resonates with people, they might could share it. It's a wonderful place to build community and have two-way conversations with your customers and clients. But from a acquisition standpoint, we have seen much lower ROI on social channels versus organic. But again, that depends on the, the business. So we tend to kind of prioritize content and SEO over social media. You know, we do, we do recommend that people get their platforms, get their handles and stuff, but maybe you need to divert your resources because you don't have time to create a million Instagram posts and do Instagram stories every day and all that stuff. When you break down the ROI on the time you're spending to create those, you know, it's just not there for a lot of businesses. So sometimes you have to make that hard choice of where do I want to spend more of my time? Cause you're just not gonna be able to put hundred percent into everything. So everyone's formula and mix is a little different where they spend their time and resources. What is one instance that comes to mind when you think about the clients that you've worked with over the last handful of years where the campaign, the content was really good. Just like, I know we've kind of talked like high level, but thinking just kind of specific. So somebody can like chew on something like an example of sitting down, coming up with a content marketing plan with the specific goals and, you know, being able to track, Oh, that was meaningful conversions. Is there one that comes to mind? That was a, a good example or a poor example? A good example. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Well, one example is, so we have uh, a YouTuber that we work with and we've known him for a lot of years before he kind of exploded and, and he really exploded a few years ago and he kind of came to us and, and he said, you know, I have this massive following, I, you know, all these videos I've created, I'm doing great, but you know, I'm really nervous because you know, I'm dependent on YouTube. I don't want to be dependent on YouTube anymore because, I mean, that's it's an audience you don't own, you know. You kind of run the risk of any time they could shut that down. So we had talked to him about sort of creating a website and a brand um, of his own, and then he could sort of convert those people from YouTube into an audience that he actually owns through his website. And so, you know, that's going to be a much more meaningful, longer-term business model, and he can control that audience versus YouTube. He can't control their algorithms, all that stuff. So we needed to find a way. So we looked at some of his videos and his content, and it's a lot about uh, markets and bargaining. So he did a little bit of research and his community and found out that they wanted to know some specific details about bargaining in a handful of these Asian markets in particular that were really popular. So what he did is he created a sort of a lead magnet resource that was about specific tips for each one of these markets. And then he started to put that out in his next couple videos and encouraged people to go and get that. We put that on the website and then that was able to, and we had already built his website and put some initial pages and content on there. And so that was a really great way to be able to track how many conversions he got from that lead magnet that he put out in his YouTube video. And then he was able to convert them onto his website and turn them into users. And we got probably, I want to say 
within the first the first video he was able to grow his mailing list by like 10,000 people wow. right away right away and um so we started doing that in some of the other videos and coming up with some new lead magnets and then once he had them on the site you know then we'd introduced them to the site from his YouTube channel. And then we started creating different pieces of content on his site about, you know, bargaining different types of, of tips. They might want to know scams to avoid in the markets and things like that. And then he was able to use his YouTube channel as a way to promote that website and drive traffic back to that website. And now we can track those users coming over and he has them on his mailing list now so he can push content to them that way and not have to always depend on YouTube and its algorithms and all that. I think that is a great example. Some of our friends, Kara and Nate, that are YouTubers have done a really good job of that. Like, you know, basically building up really applicable specific things on their blog and curating content to go on there so that they're able to kind of translate and own more of that audience. Cause like you said, YouTube could change its algorithm on any given day. So being able to own that email list and the direct relationship with those customers is really important. And a lot of times, depending on the platform as well, it's like you it, you know, it may be harder to do put a buy button or something like that versus an yeah. email. It can be a bit more captive audience, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We've talked with a lot of people over the years, especially recently, you know, who are growing their businesses on Instagram and stuff as well. And again, you just, if that's the only place and you don't have a website, you don't have a mailing list of your own, you know, there's a huge risk by having your entire business just right there dependent on that platform because you never know what could happen. I know many of people that have gotten their Instagram account shut down or locked out for whatever reason, and they're freaking out because they don't have a backup. So it's really important that you build something else off of those social platforms that you can actually own as a business and then find a way to sort of convert those people over there from your social media. And it is a challenge depending on the platforms. We all know Instagram can be a little hard as well, but it's the challenge of finding ways to do that. I know there's so many kind of branches we could pull off when it comes to content marketing, but I have, I have one more question for you, Liz, before we kind of wrap up here. If, if somebody's wanting to get content, you know, just get started with content marketing strategy and they're kind of listening to some of this, doing research, and it's a little intimidating, like what's one piece of advice you would give to somebody who's just wanting to get started? I would say reaching, tapping into your own network is probably one of the easiest ways to, to get that research and that information. Your own personal networks, you know, social media groups and things like that, people that you know, just talk to them and just start to digest some of that information they're giving to you and really try to map out that ideal customer profile, that persona, as we say, if you can really nail that, and it's sometimes it's more than one persona, it might not be just one, you could have three or four, but you know, if you can tackle that, it's going to open your eyes so much into the type of content you can make for them. And if you really start to think of them as like real people, because they are, I give all my names <laughs> so they ha I have, I have different names for different people and stuff. And when I have a conversation of, you know, if we need to create a piece of content, I will actually refer to that, that profile by the customer's name, by whatever the made up name is. Mm. Okay. Say, how does Joe, what does he think about this piece of content? How does it help Joe? <laughs> you know, does it help Joe? Maybe it doesn't. So the more you, you really create those sort of personas, they take on a life of their own, but it's hugely helpful when it comes to creating the content and just, you know, making those decisions sort of through their lens as opposed to your own lens. I love the idea of giving them sense. specific names. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we like to we like to go with different themes sometimes. So I have one client, we have five personas for them. And they're all starting with letter J. And they all have we have like little funny descriptors to describe them. I mean, one of them's the perpet Joe is the perpetual traveler. He's like very laid back and kind of just go with the flow thing. So there's certain things that he cares about and certain things that he needs or wants and pain points that he has versus, you know, Jessica is like, you know, the 20 something who just broke up with her boyfriend, who's like lost in life and trying to find the next, you know, so you kind of create this whole backstory for them, but it really helps you figure out all the different pain points and ways that you can help them. And, and yeah, anytime if that particular client, we had some challenges where sometimes leadership has like the next great idea for a video. <laughs> Things, you know, they'll be like, oh, I have a great idea for a video you should make. And sometimes it's a challenge when you try to sort of, you don't want to shut them down. But if I know that that's really not something that'll resonate with the audience, again, we always bust out those personas and we go over them with them and say, how does, what does Joe really think of that idea? And we, you know, try to, try to get them to come back to the realization of it's not, it's not about them. It's about their customers. That is, that is a great point. And uh, I could talk about this for a lot longer, Liz, but I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if there's a good place to, for people to connect with you online, either on the travel blog or your agency website, where would that be? Yeah, well, the agency website is popdigitalmedia.com. They can go there, and we're very active on our travel blog and our social, too. It's our travel blog's Peanuts or Pretzels, so you can find it. us there as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Liz, for coming on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, Liz, for coming on the show, and thank you guys for listening. For notes from today's episode and links, check out our show notes in your podcasting app or at heathandalyssa.com. Thanks again to ID Plans for sponsoring today's episode, and we'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.